0: Thank you for listening to the Grace Chapel Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by our senior pastor, Kurt Hemman. For more information about our church, visit our website at gracechapel.cc or follow us on social media at Grace Chapel Ohio. Luke chapter 14, our passage is chapter 14, verses 1 through 11. Chapter 14, verses 1 through 11. Our message is entitled, Be Like Jesus. Be like Jesus. Well, give me a second and I'll get to verse one. I'm always the last one there to give you more time. So, verse one, it begins. One Sabbath, when he, that is Jesus, went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees. Now, this is the third time that we've actually seen Jesus going and accepting the hospitality of the religious leaders to have supper for them or for him in our study of Luke. But in this particular uh, passage, we note that this is someone of more prominence. That is, he is a ruler of the Pharisees. And so, you know, they're kind of kicking Jesus up the ladder, so to speak. He's going to meet the big dog. and. Now, we know in our study of of, of Luke that the religious leaders hate Jesus. They despise him. They are seeking and scheming to destroy him. And listen, Jesus knows that. And yet at the same time, they've invited him to dinner. And so there's kind of two questions that come to mind as we're we're looking at that whole scenario. And the, and the first one is this is that Jesus goes anyway. That is, Jesus continues to reach out to them, even though they hate him and they despise him. You know, Jesus continues to affiliate with them. Listen, not to try to fit in with them, but listen to actually love them and be a godly example to them while he can, even though they can't stand him. And so listen, as we go out into a hostile world that is pushing back against who Jesus is and and what Jesus has said, We need to do the same. Listen, we need to interact. We need to affiliate. Listen, not to fit in, you know, not to be a part of them, but listen, to love them and to be a godly example to them in their midst. The second thing that kind of pops out as we just start looking at this is, you know, why would they? invite Jesus over into this very intimate setting when they can't stand him. (laughs) Well, the next verse or a few verses here tell us clearly why. Verse 1 again. One Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they they were watching him carefully. Now, that word watching in the Greek means this, they were watching him with the intent of finding fault. Verse 2, and behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And so Luke tells us here that this meal, this supper event is happening on the sabbath and so the sabbath was a very important day for the religious leaders and they had all kinds of rules and traditions that they came up with themselves on how you were to properly celebrate the sabbath in their own minds and so jesus is already we've seen this in luke jesus has already healed people on the sabbath with just which infuriated the religious leaders, because that broke their rules. And so we see over and over again that Jesus continues to have this this reoccurring conflict with the religious leaders over where does authority reside. And so for the religious leaders... You know, none of their rules, none of their traditions were in the Bible. And so authority for the Pharisees was, was the Word of God plus their ideas, plus their traditions. And so Jesus just continues to push back against them and go, no, it's, it's just the Bible. It, it, it's just the Word of God. Stick with the Word of God. Don't add to it. And so they are looking on upon Jesus. They're watching him. That is all the eyes are on him. They're, they're expecting something to happen because there's this guy there just happens to be this guy there who has dropsy. We would call that in modern terms, edema. That's just the inflammation of body fluids in the Bible that are in our body that causes our body to swell. And so they're expecting Jesus to to do something. That is, you know, Jesus had healed many, many times on the Sabbath, and they they know who Jesus is. They know he is full of love and compassion. They know that he can't look at that guy and walk away. They know he is going to heal him And so listen, we're going to see that Jesus doesn't disappoint them. He does exactly what they expect him to do. Take a look. It continues. Verse 3. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and the Pharisees. Now, it says that Jesus responded there, but did you notice that they didn't ask him a question? (laughs) That is, Jesus knew what they were thinking. He knew what they were up to. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Now that's a simple yes or no answer, right? But they say nothing. Verse four continues. Then he, that is Jesus, took him and healed him and sent him away. That is, listen, Jesus heals the man, and, and he sends him away because he knows that that guy didn't get invited to that house to have a meal. He was just a patsy. He was just a pawn. They were, they were just using him. They could care less about him. Verse 5, And he said to them, Which of you, having a son or an ox, that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day will not immediately pull him out. Well, the obvious response to that is they obviously would. But the interesting thing about this whole scenario is the same traditions that these religious leaders came up with The same traditions that said, hey, you can't heal a person on the Sabbath allowed them to pull their ox out of a pit when it had fallen in so they could rescue an animal, but they couldn't help a person. Now the same twisted logic exists in our culture today. For example... You know, we should be good stewards of animals. The Bible says that we should. That's a good thing, nothing wrong with that. But human beings are of greater value than animals. That is those who are created in the very image of God, God loves more. He puts more value on you than animals and rocks and trees. We're to be good stewards of those things, but we have a higher value. And yet, in our culture today, we have have laws that if you go mess with an egg in the nest, of a spotted owl, you're gonna get huge fines and up to five years in the state penitentiary. But a doctor can abort as many babies as he wants and nobody says nothing. In fact, everybody claps. Good job. The American experiment, democracy, can only survive, can only thrive if it is built upon a biblical, moral foundation. Listen, the founding fathers understood that. They believed that. They taught that even the ones who weren't Christians. They weren't all Christians, but they all believed we needed that biblical moral foundation in order for democracy to work. And so when that foundation is removed, democracy falls. And listen, we all feel it. We all see it. But listen there there's a morality being legislated right you understand that right every time we pass a law that's somebody's morality being put into place it's just not a good morality for example the Equality Act and so that morality doesn't honor God but understand even if you're not a Christian from a practical standpoint that morality cannot sustain the freedoms of our country because it becomes everything's up for grabs without it and everybody just tries to get theirs. And that's exactly what is happening today. And so it is imperative. Here's my point. It is imperative that we have a biblical world view, that we understand what the word of God says and that we submit to it, that we believe it, that we live by it, that it defines our civic duty, that it defines if we're a man or a woman, that it defines what marriage looks like, that it defines how we raise our kids, how we spend our money, how we use our time, that God defines what truth is, what reality is, what wrong and right is. We have to do that. See this is what Satan does. He gets us watching the news, and we just go, "Ah, I don't what do we do? like everything's on fire. I don't know what to do. It's freaking me out. Well, that just makes us passive. We do nothing then And he loves that, and it gets us not to look at what we can do, what is right in front of our face, what we can do. Well, what can we do? We need to disciple our kids to know God's Word and to live by it. We need to influence who we can. We need to be salt and light with the people that God has placed in our lives. That's what we can do. And listen, is that kind of grassroots that just might save America for a little bit longer if we have any hope at all. Amen? Amen, okay. All right, I'm not sure you guys are convinced. Verse six again. And they could not reply to these things. That is, if they said no they would reveal who they really were. Self-absorbed, uncompassionate leaders who cared only about their power. And if they said yes, they'd be breaking their own rules. So they said nothing. Verse seven. Now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose The places of honor that is we saw when this chapter opened that these religious leaders all eyes on jesus right all watching jesus let's see what he does let's see what he does so jesus kind of uses that he he turns the table on him he says you know speaking of watching people hey i noticed some things too You know what I saw? I saw you all maneuvering for the best spots at the table. I, I saw you all jockeying for the highest position. And he said, you know what? You're more concerned about where you sit at the table than the type of person you are. You want to be recognized. You want to be seen. And so Jesus uses this occasion to reveal to them their lack of humility. Listen, they lack true compassion, and they lack true humility. And yet they were supposed to be the shepherds of God's people. Verse 7 again. Now he said a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor. Lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him, and he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. That's a simple illustration. And listen, we get it. We are not to be about taking the highest position In our own initiative. That is, our life is not to be about our constant self-promotion. How is that counterculture, right? That we can get too absorbed in ourselves. You know, don't you know me? I mean, aren't you aware we, we can think or say to someone who doesn't recognize us when we walk into work or we walk into a place that we frequent. and we're, Maybe we're a little put off. That person don't know who we are. That person ain't giving us the proper props here. We're not getting the proper homage. Anybody know people like that? We're not to be like that. We are to be humble in fact, God says, listen, if, if we seek to promote ourselves, he will humble us. And so Jesus says, listen, you, you my people, you, you take the lowest place and you let God move you up. Take a look again at verse 10. But when you are invited, go and Sit in the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. And so, you know, when we choose the lower place, we don't choose that place of humility to be noticed for our humility so that we get lifted up. Yeah, that's called false humility. Or we don't choose that place and everybody can see on our facial expression that, hey, we don't think we belong there. That's false humility. There's something beautiful about a person who truly is content. There's something so beautiful about a life that is submitted to the Father's will, that trusts Him completely, that truly does not think more highly of themselves than they ought. It's a life that is permeated with with goodness it's a life that is permeated with joy it's a life that is permeated with with peace that is understand jesus is not just teaching good manners here he is calling us to be like jesus he is saying i want my character at the very core of who you are. Take a look again at verse 10, but when you're invited, go and sit in the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. I could give a lot of examples here but i won't but there is something absolutely wonderful about knowing that god has raised you up versus you raising yourself up and the reality is when you allow god to raise you up there's just a there's a confidence that comes with it there's a a reward that comes with it there's a There's a goodness that comes with it. That is, when God gives, it's always good. But when we manipulate, when we scheme, and some of us are really tricky. We say it's the Lord, but we've really been scheming to help Him out. And listen, your spirit knows when you do it. Then what we're grasping for It, it doesn't come with that goodness. Verse 11. For everyone, who's that include? Everyone. That's what it means. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, Jesus walked the talk, didn't he? I mean, he is the ultimate example of what he is teaching here. He deserved the highest place and he took the lowest position and God exalted him above all. In fact, if you would, you don't have to keep your finger here. We won't come back. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 2 because it expounds this for us. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 through 11. We'll end with that. We won't come back here. So Philippians is easy to find. Just keep turning in. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians chapter 2. And if you're worried I'm going to expound this, I'm not. Okay, I'm just going to read through it. Maybe one comment. I don't know. We'll see. Verse 1 through 11 It says this. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy Have this mind among yourselves, which is what? Yours, which is yours in Christ Jesus. That is, we have the mind of Christ, if you're a believer. God has already granted it to you, and therefore we can't obey what Paul just told us to do. And here's our example. Here's our example expounded. Verse 6, Who, though he, that is Jesus, was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He didn't cling to his royalty. He didn't cling to his position. He didn't cling to his comfort. He didn't cling to all he could have. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. But he didn't stop there. Being born in the likeness of man and being found in a human form, he didn't stop there. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. And he didn't stop there. Even death on a cross the most shameful, lowest, painful death known to man. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow on heaven and on earth and under the earth. Listen, you can bow your knee on this side, receive grace, love, forgiveness, and eternal life, or you will bow your knee on the other side and receive judgment in hell. It is that simple. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more sermons like this, visit us online at gracechapel.cc.